think big and go back to the basics. Yin and yang. In the heart, every heartbeat basically has contraction and expansion, relaxation, what we call the systole and diastole. Contraction phase is all yang. Relaxation phase is all yin. So our heart constantly, 24-7, moves from a yin state to a yang state. Without it, we wouldn't be alive. I think the most important thing from the Tao and for everything is kind of living within the realm of yin and yang. Welcome to Pacific Rim College Radio, a podcast sharing stories and wisdom from experts in the fields of holistic wellness and sustainable living. I am your host, Todd Howard, coming to you from Ravenhill Herb Farm, a permaculture design campus of Pacific Rim College in Victoria, British Columbia. As the show's guests demonstrate, by doing small acts to embrace more mindful living, we can positively impact our communities. Amos Ziv is an Israeli-based acupuncturist, herbalist, and integrative medicine researcher. Along with his classmates Jason Robertson and C.T. Holman, Amos studied channel palpation with Dr. Wang Juyi and applies it to his cardiovascular health-based clinical practice and research. Amos is CEO of CardiaCare, which aims to provide the world's first home care therapy delivery and real-time monitoring system for people with atrial fibrillation. We talk extensively in this episode about many aspects of cardiovascular health and how therapies such as acupuncture and herbal medicine can be highly effective in restoring patients' health and independence. Amos also delivers an acupuncturist tutorial on treating chronic pain through specific point prescriptions and techniques and shares some of his remarkable therapeutic outcomes. We delve into the paradox of integrative medicine in Israel and conclude with Amos' passion for Taoism and the lessons it has provided him for life. This episode definitely pulsates heavily in the realm of clinical practice and outcomes, making it a powerful listen for anyone in the field of Chinese medicine or interested in cardiac care. Please enjoy this episode of Pacific Rim College Radio with Amos Ziv. Amos, welcome to Pacific Rim College Radio. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Thank you. I want to first acknowledge our mutual friend, C.T. Holman and Jason Robertson. I believe C.T. is the one who recommended that I reach out to you for this interview. So thank you, C.T., for that. You are located in Israel, correct? Yep, in Israel. Mm-hmm. And you are heavily entrenched in, I would say, the. you do a lot of research when it comes to Chinese medicine. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, basically, uh, I do a lot of research, I'd say, uh, in-house and, uh, <laughs> and out, meaning basically that uh, actually my, my, my background is, is a mixed background. I have uh, I actually started off uh, with sciences. My bachelor's and master's were in uh, biology and science, and I uh, uh, also actually ran a uh, research unit in one of the major hospitals here in Israel. Uh, but I think that the research that I do in my clinic and practice is uh, as important because uh, I keep on discovering, uh, we, we, like we all do, um, all practitioners do, these new concepts and ideas which are very applicable <clears throat> to my field uh, in uh, Chinese medicine uh, in, in general. What sort of things are you discovering in your clinic? You know, you mentioned Jason Robertson and CT. We all studied with the late uh, Professor Dr. Wang Juyi, who was a channel, channel theory master. And uh, a lot of the 
teachings uh, of his, uh, of Dr. Wang were actually actually one of the things that Dr. Wang always told us is that Chinese medicine, just like like Western medicine, um, uh, still needs to be researched. And he was really pushing us to have meticulous record keeping and to have like a black notebook on your desk always to write your ideas and to explore them and to repeat them and to see if they're actually uh, new discoveries. So, so I, over the years, and uh, I, I've found these, uh, I guess, uh, channel combinations and point combinations, which made some sense to me. Some of them, interestingly, and we can discuss that actually involve uh, uh, Western thought combined with classical Chinese thought uh, uh, and and discovering that I can just give you like a very, very simple example. One of the things I, I'm, 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 my practice is mainly focused on cardiovascular disorders. I'd say that 90% of my patients uh, uh, are, are um, arrhythmia patients, uh, post uh, heart attack patients, uh, um, congestive heart patients, and also, and also patients with the cardiovascular risk factors like uh, hypertension, uh, lipids, uh, and so on. Um, uh, one of the latest, I guess, revelations and latest is in the last two, three, four years is how to treat blood pressure. Blood pressure is actually very, uh, very challenging in terms of treating the Chinese medicine I've found over the years. It was very challenging. Uh, e even at my time and in, in, in when I was doing my internship in the Chinese medicine cardiology ward back in Beijing in Xi'an Hospital, it was always uh, mentioned that you know the Western drugs work much better, and it's true they they're they're very strong. But I, it's just in the past few years I found out that, um, uh, and it's funny how I found this out. Uh, basically, I'll, I'll, the, the the story is this: uh, if you uh, warm the periphery, meaning uh, the peripheral vasculature from a Western perspective, the Wei Qi from a Chinese perspective, the skin area, uh, basically what you're doing is you're expanding blood vessels and, and by doing that, you're actually reducing blood pressure. So, so for me, uh, a clinical revelation was that actually when you tonify the Taiyang channel uh, with the source points of the Taiyang, Spontus and Ford and Bladder 64, which are warming points, which normally you would use as magical points for like wind cold invasion or something like that. Uh, it's it's uh, one of Dr. Wang's favorite hits for uh, uh, tonifying the Wei Qi and the external. I found that when you do that, you actually warm the surface and you actually get to reduce blood pressure. And you need to combine that with uh, with the Jueyin system, which is the liver and pericardium system, because you're not only expanding the periphery, but you're also helping the blood circulate by yeah, by utilizing and moving the uh, liver and pericard. So this is just an example. So for instance, I, I often use Montes and 4 by the 64 with like, let's say PC6 level 3. I know we jumped right into two points. I'm sorry. but No, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> normally, I normally don't do that. But, but that's no. kind of an example of the kind of things that if you if you work a lot with patients from a specific area and you see these phenomena and you uh, meticulously uh, record and re repeat and record them, you can make these new discoveries, so which, 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 all of, which you know, all of us practitioners actually have you know, uh, in the clinic so over the year. So that's kind of my, an example of the, like I would say, the, the uh, research that I do uh, uh, in the clinic. 
uh, I, I'm also heavily involved in clinical research uh, um, uh, in kind of an integrative way of Chinese medicine and uh, Western science, uh, both in clinical trials that I've done in the past. Uh, we've done a wonderful clinical trial on acupuncture in the emergency room for acute pain, uh, um, neck pain and back pain on uh, uh, whiplash injuries. And also the stuff that I do these days in cardiology, we, you know, we'll have time to explore these more uh, as we go. Yeah, I want to go back for a second to the blood pressure and warming the periphery. Now, is the physiology behind that based on giving the blood more vessels to flow through by, by warming the periphery, you're allowing it to go more uh, thoroughly to the extremities and therefore it's normalizing the blood pressure? Uh, I, in, in a nutshell, the, answer, the, in, the short answer is yes, okay? Uh, the long answer has to do with, <laughs> with how this discovery was, I don't know if it was born or if it was reinforced. It was, it was funny, we, I, was, I, was, I was in the beach actually with, with, my, with my kids a couple of years ago. Uh, lucky enough, we have warm weather, so we have a lot of uh, uh, you know, um, possibilities to go to the ocean. And uh, you know how kids like dig, dig a hole and they kind of uh, bury a person there just you know, leaving the head outside and it's, it's kind of a funny deal. And the, and the kids asked me to, you know, they dug a huge hole and I, and I volunteered to get in there. <laughs> and, and as they covered me with sand, um, <clears throat> after a few minutes, I started feeling like this heaviness in my head and then, um, uh, and then uh, a dizziness, and then almost like a migraine headache on my tip. And I said, oh my God, what's going on here? And, 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 I, and I, you know, I told the kids, pull, pull me out of here, I need to get out. And I, and, I, and, I, and I came out and later when I thought about that, I kind of thought, well, what's going on? So my, my, my thought was that, you know, when you're covered in sand, you're basically pressing on, on, on the peripheral nerves and blood vessels. And that may increase, but so my, my thought was these were symptoms of high blood pressure. I didn't have a chance to check my blood pressure and not that I suffer from that, but, but that was kind of an, uh, an idea. And I thought, okay, so if you compress the periphery and you compress blood vessels, how can we expand the periphery? And one of the best ways to expand periphery, which is, uh, is what I mentioned, uh, this Montesin 4 bladder 64, which are the source points, right? Source points of the channel or tonify the channel. Uh, actually, basically what they do is they allow more heat to reach the periphery. And in my view, this heat is what uh, expands the small vessels in the periphery uh, uh, and, then, and then maybe uh, reduces blood pressure. And then when you combine that with, with uh, moving or circulating or allowing the body to, to push more blood by using the Yin system, maybe what we're doing is on the one hand, uh, uh, heating the surface, expanding the surface, and then also allowing more blood to reach the surface. And maybe that way, reducing blood pressure. That's kind of the thought. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And in your experience, clinical experience, how much of a risk factor is hypertension for cardiovascular disease or heart attacks? Uh, it depends on the background of the patients. You know, if it's just that, uh, the, um, if it's just high blood pressure, and again, keep in mind that the Western medicine is constantly changing the the the, the threshold, uh, uh, normally yeah. reducing, normally reducing it, you know, to to, mm -hmm. to 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 allow for more medications, which we're all against. But um, 
I still think it's 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 a, it's a major factor. It's a major risk factor, especially if, if your patients have additional cardiovascular uh, uh, risk factors, like most of my patients do. So it's important to okay. to reduce uh, blood pressure. I, I see. But as you By said, way, yeah, go ahead. the threshold of diagnosis continues to go down. Now, when they have prehypertensive and hypertensive, right. and right. is as you said, we're you and I are probably not very much in favor of medication, but so many people are told by their doctors that, oh, you, you got these high numbers, you need to be on medication. If that's the only risk factor that they're dealing with and their blood pressure is really not that high, yeah, what are been, what are their alternatives other than medication? Yeah, yeah excellent. So that's the two things that we need to know first about, about how Western medicine works in terms of high blood pressure. There are very specific guidelines uh, with based with, you know, robust clinical data on when to put your patients on blood pressure medications. But there's close to zero guidelines on when to reduce medication. That almost doesn't exist in the guidelines. Okay. Yes. Okay. So, uh, uh, so that's important to, to keep in mind that, you know, patients can manage their blood pressure and they can, you know, I work with physicians and often I tell these patients, you know, uh, do a 24-hour uh, blood pressure. You know, let's say we're done a treatment series, their blood pressure is down. Uh, I never tell them to get off medications, but I tell them to go to their physician and show them their blood pressure readings and ask them, can we reduce it? Normally, the physician would say, yes, well, the blood pressure now is normal, so you, you can reduce the blood pressure medication. But otherwise, it would never happen. But in terms of alternatives, um, and uh, obviously, lifestyle modification is the biggest contributor to, to blood pressure. I mean, I mean, yeah, uh, so what increases blood pressure? So yeah, you know, so it's sleep quality, it's diet, it's exercise, and and uh, yeah, of course it's age. Okay, because the vessels do tend to be more, uh, um, less more rigid, I guess. So that's true. Uh, but the majority of the factors that contribute to the development of life uh, of blood pressure are lifestyle uh, lifestyle measures that can be uh, that can be adjusted. If you want to, um, you can, yeah, it's interesting. If you Google uh, calm as in calm down, calm BP, uh, C-A-L-M, uh, BP blood pressure as in calm blood pressure, that, that's a beautiful clinical trial that we did uh, on the lifestyle modification program for reducing blood pressure. It was published in a, in a peer reviewed journal, in a good journal that you, you everybody can look it up because it's open. Um, we were using uh, uh, a nutrition uh, uh, a group weekly group sessions of, you know, how to cook and eat well, how to read labels of, 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 of uh, uh, groceries. So it was like an, an educational program. Patients came in for 16 weeks, and then we followed them up for another uh, up to one, uh, six, six months. And it, it involved basically nutrition, uh, exercise, which was just walking, yoga, and qigong. And, and we were comparing uh, this program to the standard, uh, it's called DASH, Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension. That's like what the American Heart Association uh, uh, guidelines offer for uh, lifestyle, uh, for uh, blood pressure. And the, our, this program worked like, um, it, was, it was doubled efficacy than, than the normal standard uh, nutrition that they do in, in, in Western. Uh, in fact, we had uh, uh, more than a double of the double patients that reduced blood pressure medication in that study, again, with lifestyle. So I would say, of course, nutrition, uh, sleep is a huge one because, you know, when you don't sleep enough or if you don't sleep good, 
uh, your heart your blood pressure is higher. And of course, sedentary lifestyle, so exercise. And, and what we can offer in terms of acupuncture and herbs as, as, uh, as so uh, with blood pressure, I always use a kind of like a comprehensive approach. Yeah. And I was thinking as you were talking too about another risk factor or a causative factor, of course, is stress. And when people go to hospitals, we know it's often a stressful environment. And something that just came to me is hospitals are very cold. They're not warming. They're not welcoming. Mm -hmm. And if the periphery of the body is cold and you're stressed and you're getting yeah. your blood pressure taken, well, that seems to me that people might have artificially elevated blood yeah. pressure readings when they're in that environment. Yeah, it's true. And just standing, uh, you know, in front of a physician and taking your blood pressure, the majority of the people out there, including, you know, including me, uh, you'll have a higher readings. This is why home readings of blood pressure are the, are the best way to go. So for, for, for most people, uh, you know, even in Western medicine, they call this white collar syndrome one where patients are, you know, in front of a, of a, of a white coat of a physician or a nurse, uh, their blood pressure goes up. And e even during the measurement, that's why you need to take two or three or four measurements. If you just go to the physician and get a checkup and he just checks your blood pressure once and tells you, oh, well, your blood pressure is high. That's, that's, I'm sorry. That's, 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 uh, uh, I don't want to use a bad language. That's unacceptable because yeah. people need to do three or four, three or four, uh, measurements because, uh, I'd say more than 50% of the patients will have, or the people will have an elevated uh, blood pressure for the first one and then it'll, it'll keep on coming down until it stabilizes. And those are like the real, real measurements. But so yeah, stress, stress is a huge one, of course. Mm -hmm. And with cardiovascular patients in your clinic, since that's primarily uh, the, who you're seeing or the conditions that you're treating, what sort of successes are you having? Uh, it depends on, 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 the, uh, on the disorder. Uh, uh, the, my biggest one is arrhythmias. I actually am focused very much on the cardiac arrhythmias. And I can tell you that cardiac arrhythmias work exceptionally. I mean, acupuncture in Chinese medicine works exceptionally well on cardiac arrhythmias. It's un unbelievable uh, um, because what I do in the clinic is I, is I use ECGs. And, and uh, you can see ECG... Can, and, you know, today you can buy these handheld ECGs. It's really simple. You know, people even have ECGs on their Apple watches these days. So it's like, uh, uh, it's, it's a commodity. It's very easy to, to you, know, you can buy a, 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 well, for 50 bucks on Amazon, a handheld ECG and get good reports. So what we're doing is we always uh, assess these patients before and after, uh, immediately before and after each session. And also normally they come in with arrhythmias. So they have a 24 hour ECG that they've done in the, in the uh, community. Uh, and they do another one like three months later, and the results are fantastic, both the immediate effects and the um, and the uh, 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 long-term effects. And I would say that uh, the fastest or easiest uh, responding or the uh, best successes are with uh, uh, premature heartbeats, uh, are called PVCs, premature ventricular beats, or PACs, premature atrial beats. Which are, which are, you know, skipping heartbeats or extra, extra systoles, they're called. Uh, these respond very, very well to acupuncture and Chinese medicine and um, success rates are very high. Now, it, it depends on the burden of the arrhythmia of the patient. So let, let me explain what I mean. So um, um, when patients have arrhythmias, normally they have a 24-hour ECG and in the report, it actually says how many 
of these premature heartbeats they had in the 24 hours uh, a session. So uh, often they'll have just a few, sometimes it's dozens, sometimes it's hundreds, and often it's, it's thousands and even tens of thousands. Now above 10,000, they, they tell these patients that they need medication and above 20,000, they actually need a procedure which called ablation where they actually go in with a catheter and try to burn or freeze the area suspected, suspected, suspected of creating the arrhythmia. Um, so obviously, uh, uh, the, more, the more they have it and the longer they've had it, it's more difficult. But we also have patients coming in with these 24-hour ECG reports of thousands and, 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 and even tens of thousands where we're, uh, when we're really, really uh, helping them reduce that. And, and you know, um, um, it's, it's not a video. I, I would share with you the ECGs because that we have these, uh, and it's amazing because you see an ECG of a person, you know, they come into the clinic, they have, I don't know, uh, 20 VPCs in, in a two-minute ECG check, and they come out and they have maybe two. And then from one treatment to the next, they keep on getting, uh, you know, they keep on declining and reducing, and we're having these uh, results. The other thing to keep in mind is uh, the uh, severity of the symptoms varies a lot. Some people have a lot of these premature heartbeats and don't, don't feel anything. And some people, you know, each and every uh, uh, skipping heartbeat is like very symptomatic for them. Maybe they feel it and they have a uh, chest depression or they may have shortness of breath and so on and so forth. So, so uh, we're also helpful for the symptoms. So sometimes we see that the symptoms like the severity of the sensation is reduced even before the numbers are reduced. So, but overall, I would say success rates are high. Uh, okay. Yeah. So if you, you know, I, I, I would urge anyone to open a, a, a premature heartbeat clinic because it's, there's so many people have it. So many people have premature uh, heartbeats in these palpitations. So it's, uh, it's, it's so common in the population. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, to follow up, I think you mentioned you have a video. Any videos that you do want people to see, we can share in the show notes. So I just mentioned that to you if you want to send okay. me anything. Mm -hmm. When it comes to these premature heartbeats and arrhythmias, as you said, it's so common. Is it really that concerning? I know a number of people who have had ablation due to arrhythmias, but if someone is asymptomatic, has lived what seems to be a healthy life for decades, and it's only when they get a checkup in their 50s or 60s that a doctor says, oh, you have an arrhythmia. Is that really a big concern? Well, it depends on the arrhythmia. Uh, there's, there's, so many for, uh, there's so many arrhythmias from a, from a Western perspective. Interestingly, uh, classically or historically, Chinese medicine uh, uh, was actually very, very uh, accurate in defining the types, the overall general types of arrhythmias are there. The, uh, uh, the uh, um, uh, uh, Jingji or Zhengzhong, the two types, the more uh, organ-related uh, uh, arrhythmias or the more Shen-related arrhythmias. So, uh, and, and basically uh, from a Western perspective, this is also the, the, the case. Uh, if you have arrhythmias that originate from an organical change in the heart muscle or the electrical tissue of the heart, that can be more severe than if you have, uh, you know, these, these palpitations or arrhythmias, which are more related to, you know, stress and disorders uh, of, of, uh, uh, of emotion. Um, so some of these arrhythmias are lethal. You know, some people need to have you know pacemakers, but but VPCs or APCs or or these extrasystoles in general, you're right, they're not dangerous. Okay, uh, so some people may live with them for the rest of their lives and have nothing, 
but again, when it goes up to thousands and tens, tens of thousands, they actually uh, 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 may weaken the heart. So, so uh, or oh, heart muscles. So, so uh, overall, I always tell tell my patients uh, these premature heartbeats are not dangerous. They are affecting your um, quality of life. So we can help you with that. Uh, if you do have a lot in the tens of thousands, yes, they need to do something about it. Um, but otherwise, you may, you know, you, like you said, you may live your whole life with them and, and, and may, they may are asymptomatic. Uh, keep in mind that there are, the, from these premature heartbeats, there are two types, the ones that originate from the atria, the upper chambers of the heart, and ones that originate from the ventricles, the lower chambers of the heart. And the ones that originate from the upper cha chamber of the heart, which are called the atrial premature beats or the APCs or, uh, uh, or PACs, these actually uh, can uh, develop to a more severe arrhythmia called AFib or atrial fibrillation, which, is, which, which increases the risk of stroke and so on and so forth. So, so that's kind of the thing, things to keep in mind. But yeah, I always reassure my patients that don't, uh, it's, it's, in general, it's not a, it's not a dangerous condition. Uh, it's just something that's best managed for reducing symptoms and, uh, and burden. You mentioned the electrical conductivity of the heart, and I'm wondering if you have seen any correlation between the electrification of our planet and cardiovascular disease. And in particular, I'm talking about high tension wires, EMFs, radars, 5G, it's, we're extremely electrified, and I've been reading a lot of research, and much of it is decades and decades old, showing a very strong correlation between the electrification of a certain area and the rise in cardiovascular disease. I, I, I strongly believe in that. I don't have evidence to show that, uh, but I, I think it's true. Uh, I think uh, the, we know very little about not only the electric uh, uh, conductivity of the heart, but also the electromagnetic fields that the heart, you know, those, those, those beautiful work there are out there, uh, you know, there's a company called HeartMath, which looks at the heart rate variability and so on and so forth. And, and those studies done on, you know, the fields of energy that the hearts emit, uh, which have to do, by the way, with communication and have to do with emotions and have to do with this. So, you know, just like the Chinese medicine says, the heart is the, uh, is the emperor uh, because it's, it's physically a pump, but emotionally it's, 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 a, it's a huge creator of, uh, of, uh, of energetical fields. So I would say that, that uh, uh, yes, I, I, I believe that is true, uh, but I also would approach this from, from, uh, from another angle. I think uh, all these external factors that you mentioned Create an overwhelming, um, overwhelming burden on the on the nervous system in general, the autonomic nervous system, uh, and creating this excess stress from you know electrical fields and and I think the autonomic nervous system is very sensitive to that and that may be also directly affecting the heart. So it's not just like a direct effect. There's also there's also the the all these. Um, stressors uh, uh, make us more prone to, to, uh, to changes in, 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 in the, from, from a Western perspective, the autonomic nervous system, from a Chinese perspective, the, the channel, the channels. So I think, yeah, the external influences uh, um, play a role here as well. There's some very interesting discourse 
about how the acupuncture needles themselves can actually work as an an outlet, so to speak, for the increased electrification in the body to escape. And that, in part, that's what Chinese medicine or acupuncture has been doing for millennia, because even before we had electricity, we still have today changes in the Earth's electromagnetic field due to solar flares or other cosmic occurrences, and that perhaps the, uh, the pathological factors that are discussed in some of the Chinese texts have a lot to do with the changes in the electromagnetic field of the Earth. And in some of them, it's in a very short-term blast that it changes. And so perhaps the acupuncture mm -hmm. is a way to help release that excess energy or electricity within people, which I think would go to explain in part how you are having such great success in treating arrhythmias if it is something that could be related to electrification. I think in part this is this would be uh, this would be an answer. My view of the acupuncture points and the needles is that the, you know the, the acupuncture points themselves are these vortexes of of energies, uh, basically of, of you know ex entering and exiting the body, and and the needles are are like are like these antennas that magnify the the flux of energy in in these vortices. So, so uh, from uh, from that perspective, I I, I I would tend to agree with, with what you're saying, but I th I also think it's 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 deeper than that. I think that the wisdom of channel theory and organ theory, and you know the balancing of 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 the channels in terms of you know blood circulation, in terms of heat circulation, in terms of the relation between you know uh, the, the 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 mind, the body, the uh, you know the the shen and the blood. I think uh, the, the observations and the um, notions and the ideas of Chinese medicine are so accurate, and I think they 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 also are like big contributors to to the success with with you know with the treatment of arrhythmias and you know to success of Chinese medicine in general. So, uh, um, yeah. <clears throat> in your treatment, are you at all addressing the heart shen and other and emotional factors that may be influencing that? and its impact on the the heartbeat and the heart health absolutely absolutely so yeah so um the systems that 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 um uh, it's 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 kind of good to understand how channel theory views like uh, uh you know the roles of the um pericardium and liver channel uh at the Juanian system and, all, and then also the Shaoyan system and what they correlate to so so um the Juayin system, um, basically the system of the liver and the pericard has, like all system, has a yin aspect and a yang aspect. And when we look at the, uh, let's look at the liver, for example. <clears throat> so we know the yang aspect of the liver has to do with qi, uh, has to do with smoothing the flow of qi, making sure that the qi is uh, flowing regularly uh, and not constrained. And we can use the liver for the yang aspect of the qi of, uh, 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 for that aspect when you have constraint of liver or not, not or non-smooth flow. <clears throat> the yin aspect of the liver, <clears throat> excuse me, is obviously uh, the blood or the rejuvenation of blood, which happens mainly during the night, which is why we always need to uh, talk to our patients. Why The reason you need to go to sleep at 10, 30, quarter to 11 is because you're, you want to enter into deeper sleep, especially when your liver and gallbladder channels are doing a lot of this work. Uh, that's kind of like a side note. 
Uh, I have a lot of discussions, by the way, with my with my patients on on sleep and sleep habits. Uh, we can talk about that. Um, so, um, so that's so that's the yin and yang aspect of the liver. The yin and yang aspects of the pericardium have to do with so the yang aspect also has to do with chi, and in this case, the emotions. So the pericardium is out there to protect the heart. So the yang aspect of the pericardium has to do with protecting the heart from these excess emotions that may trigger and, and burden the heart. Uh, and, the, and the yin aspect of the pericardium has to do with the fact that the pericardium kind of kind of uh, um, submerges the heart with a good flow of blood. Uh, in fact, the coronary arteries, which supply blood to the heart, are on the pericardium. So it's, it's amazing how channel theory has says that, said that thousands of years ago, that you know, the pericardium infuses the heart with good quality of blood to, to make sure that the shen has a good yin anchor. So, so all, these, all these aspects are, 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 are addressed with these patients from, from, you know, from a shen perspective and from an emotion perspective. So often I use the jue yin yang aspect, liver and pericardium to, to make sure that you know, we smooth the liver chi so patients uh, 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 and you know, to make sure that we don't have this overspill of liver invading the pericardium, which is very, very common. And then we nourish liver and pericardial blood in order to make sure that you know that there's good supply of blood to the, to the heart and there's good connection between the, the the blood and the shen and the heart. So so uh, uh, I I could give a couple of clinical examples, you know, or a couple of acupuncture point examples. Uh, um, one of the most common things that you see with patients with uh, cardiovascular conditions, but this but this is true for all patients with stress, is is what I call the inability to take a deep breath, okay? And um, when I say that, some people call this shortness of breath, but, but, but uh, it's confusing because it's not really shortness of breath. It's not a lung issue from, a, from a, a, a Western perspective. It's not a lung kidney issue from a Chinese perspective. It's actually a liver uh, gallbladder issue. And then let me explain what I mean. Um, basically, the symptoms that you would see with these patients is repeated sighing, okay? Whenever they're stressed, you, you, you will feel during the interview or the intake that they, you hear that, 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 that sighing, which is trying to, to um, um, which is basically conveying that there's constraint around the chest area. So, so how does this happen? So what happened, what's going on here? So, you know, just, we're very accustomed to saying that, you know, neck stiffness has, uh, 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 a lot of the times originates from what we call, you know, liver chi stagnation. Basically, what we're having is increased muscle tone of the neck, creating, you know, uh, 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 this neck stiffness. However, um, um, what we're not often accustomed to thinking about is the intercostal muscles between the ribs. So the liver channel and the gallbladder channel traverse this whole area of the intercostals. And just like uh, liver chi constraint can cause neck stiffness, it actually causes uh, increased muscle tones of these intercostal muscles. And basically it's contracting the rib cage. So what you're seeing is you're seeing these patients that uh, you're actually hearing the exhalation, but the inhalation was the attempt to expand the rib cage so they can bring more air inside into the chest. So basically, uh, uh, they take a deep breath in, trying to expand the chest, and, but, and then you hear the sign. The, the sign. So it's basically, it's, it, I see this as liver 
liver and gallbladder, cheek and strain con constraining the rib cage. And, and interestingly, the solution from, from a clinical perspective, and normally you see this with a bunch of other, uh, you know, you see the, the, you know, a bunch of other symptoms of, of, of liver, a bunch of other symptoms of the gallbladder, and you'll see that in the pulse, you'll see that in the tongue, and you can palpate the channels for that. And, and normally if this is the case, uh, one of the things to ask your patients is, is when do you feel this? Is it when you're moving and walking and exercising, or is it when you're sitting down and resting? The answer will always be no. I, I get this when I rest, okay? Because movement actually improves that because it you know moves the liver cheek and so on and so forth. And people will say, oh no, actually after running I don't have it. I have I'm free of that for three or four hours. But then you know when I sit down for a couple of hours in front of the TV or back in my room on bed, that's when I start having these repeated sighings and I can't get a deep breath in. Some people will just say that as it is. They will say uh, uh, difficulty to bring, bring air inside. And, and the acupuncture solution like for that is, is, is magical because in two, three treatments, you can you know, change these people's lives um, just by doing something very simple. Like, and I wanna say um, Chinese acupuncture for arrhythmias is not rocket science acupuncture. It's very simple. It's, I mean, it's, it's funny how you can use very simple point combinations that make uh, a lot of sense uh, and get wonderful results. So for example, in this case, if you do, if you have that diagnosis and you have that symptom, and by the way, this goes alongside often it comes together with these heart palpitations and, uh, and arrhythmias. If you just do pericardium six, gallbladder 34, um, liver 14 or, or gallbladder 24, whichever is more tender, and if it's very severe, you know, you can add CV-17. Uh, patients will literally feel the difference sometimes within a treatment. When they come in and they're all constrained around the chest area, and they're not breathing deep enough, and they go out and they say, oh my God, I, I, can, dream, uh, I, can, I can breathe deep again. And it's like really simple stuff that you can do and help these patients. So, so, um, so coming back to, to where this comes from, so basically what you're doing is you're kind of uh, removing the uh, constraint or the young aspect of the of the liver and the gallbladder in this in this case, and 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 uh, if you also want to tonify blood uh, by you know I use you know um, PC six and liver eight, or I use back shoe points, or I use you know stomach thirty seven, stomach thirty nine, which are lower Hersey points uh, for which help absorption of uh, of food to create blood. Then, then you can also address the yin aspects of, of, of the uh, uh, joint system and, and, and you can get really good results. And with the yin aspect, is this in part due to liver blood not nourishing the intercostals and the tendons in the area? And if so, I think so, if so, are you then seeing that in other muscles? Uh, yeah, you know, one of the classic symptoms of, of, of liver blood deficiency is muscle cramps. Uh, calf, calf muscle cramps uh, are not, not only that, you know, eyelid twitching. Uh, so I, I think so. I think that, you know, uh, Joyan liver pericardium blood deficiencies uh, may present themselves with muscle stiffness uh, and, uh, uh, and, and in other parts of the body as well. And if you think about it, you know, uh, um, from a Western perspective, what they do is they gave these people magnesium, right, for these muscle cramps. And I, I view, you know, when I look at supplements and herbs, I kind of try to see first, are these more chi moving or blood yin nourishing 
supplements and you know stuff like you know uh, uh, vitamins and minerals like you know b12 folic acid iron omega-3 magnesium i see that i see those as more nourishing uh um so so in a, you know from that respect I, I would i would agree that yeah lack of nourishing to the uh or to the sinews and the muscles can increase these overstrained muscle cramps yes you spoke also of doing some i think you said research and the use of acupuncture for acute pain can you talk a bit about your experience with treating acute pain with acupuncture you know, prior to COVID, I used to teach these uh, classes all over uh, on the system, which is kind of based on channel theory, um, uh, channel theory uh, for acute pain. Um, okay, and also it's a, it's it's a feel. Okay, so when, when I'll, I'll tell you a story first. So when I, I I was lucky enough to to know that I wanted to do Chinese cardiology at my second year at the ACTCM, that's uh, American College of TCM in San Francisco. That's where we studied uh, um, Jason C.T. And, and myself back in 1997. And I, I, I was lucky enough to, um, there was a delegation from Chengdu uh, Hospital um, and the head of the cardiovascular department and Chengdu was, gave a lecture on Chinese herbs and, and, and uh, and uh, congestive heart failure, actually, and 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 as soon as I listened to that lecture, I just instantly knew that this is what I want to do. So and so and and that uh, and that's when I tried to pursue, um, you know, throughout the years. Um, so I approached one of my my teachers at, at the school, and I told him, "Listen, I want to do Chinese medicine cardiology. I think this is like the, the best thing to do." And he said. He told me, you know, Chinese medicine for cardiology uh, uh, may work very well. However, uh, you may not get patients uh, to come in to get cardiovascular uh, treatments for many, many years. So I suggest you also major in like pain management, because if you want to make a living for the first five, 10 years, uh, you, you should have. <laughs> and that was very, very, very true. So, so basically, the two areas that I focused on was in pain management and, and cardiology. Uh, so... Um, so the, the approach that I use, uh, and by the way, you, you can read, uh, I published this in the, uh, journal of, um, oh, what's the famous uh, British journal for acupuncture by Peter Dedman, uh, JCM journal of Chinese medicine. Yeah. Yeah. JCM journal. Chinese. Yep. Journal of Chinese medicine. You can, uh, this is published. So, so, uh, actually the, this article uh, can be reached. So, um, it's 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 an approach that uses channel theory for pain management by uh, what I call like um, uh, creation of a wave of chi in the channel. So basically, what I what we do, uh, and I'm not the only one that does that. I think there's there's a couple of good people that you can look at their notes or uh, try to see if you can uh, you know if the listeners can look at notes from uh, uh, John Steinke. Uh, he's a pain management practitioner. Uh, uh, I think in somewhere in Colorado, I don't know. So he has some literature on that also. But the approach says this: that basically, when there's stasis, um, when there's uh, uh, when there's uh, stasis in the channel, uh, the first thing to do would be to bleed the Jingwell point of the channel, as in blood stasis is more difficult to move than chi stagnation. So once you actually resolve the stasis of the blood, and there's always a certain degree of blood stasis in the channel when there's pain. 
then, so you start with beating the Jingwell point of the channel and then uh, you do the needling crisscross or ipsilateral on both sides of the channel. And that yields a, a, a wonderful results, wonderful results. We did another clinical trial in, in, in the ER um, uh, that I worked in uh, back, back in the days. And again, we were treating, as I said, patients with acute back pain and neck pain. And we used that system and <clears throat> the results were phenomenal. You know, uh, we had the three groups, uh, uh, sham treatment, we had uh, uh, medications only or medications plus the acupuncture. And if the medications reduced the pain by about 16%, this uh, system reduced the pain with an additional 25%. So like a 40% acute reduction in pain in the ER. And at the time, you know, uh, uh, we had an ER after the study, uh, we had an uh, uh, acupuncture ER sta staffing the ER. We had like shift of acupuncture in the ER for that. For that. So, so yeah, so um, I, I, I call this meridian wave acupuncture because we're creating a wave of chi after moving the blood and, and the effectiveness is very high. And again, I, I, I explained the whole system uh, in, 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 those, in the, that JCM paper. And um, as I said, you know, prior to COVID, I used to teach this as a weekend, like postgraduate class in many in Europe, all over Europe. Uh, uh, but, uh, that, you know, that's all history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you said, you bleed the Jingwell point? Is that on the affected channel? You bleed the Jingwell point on the affected channel. Based okay, on so where the pain we... is, is that based on where the pain is? Like the pain, the channel that the pain is nearest yeah. to? The channel that the pain is on or nearest to. And when we say channel, um, one of the interesting takes that Dr. Wong always kind of uh, put in our minds, and you know, if you read Dr. Wong, by the way, a must read book, I'm sorry that I'm promoting my friend, Jason Robertson, but I do think that every acupuncture has to read. I don't know if you've read that book. It's a great book. J Jason's of course been on the podcast and we've talked a bit about the book, but it doesn't do it justice. You have to open up the pages of it and read the stories. Jason is such a good storyteller yeah. and just, yeah, it's a, it's a great, great resource for all acupuncturists. I agree. It's, it's a beautiful book. It's built. Every chapter has both, you know, the, the theory aspect, the practical aspect and the story from Dr. Wong's life and Jason's experience. So yeah, it's, it's a beautiful book. It's really some of the concepts there in terms of channel theory are really mind blowing, you know, stuff that you know intuitively, but then you are you get, you know, like the tying system or the Shaoyang system, and uh, you get these things explained and they kind of dawn on you. So, oh, wow. It's like, that's why, that's why I do stomach 36 for spleen gene deficiency or whatever. So what I wanted to say basically is, is the approach is the, um, uh, uh, you know, we look at the channels as having six major channels, the Taiyang, the Shaoyang, the Yang Ming, the Taiyin, the Shaoyang, the Juein. And uh, so be because, because f from, a, from a channel perspective, you know, the stomach and the large digestion are just one channel, uh, uh, you know, just like in the Chinese, uh, Chinese name, right? The, uh, uh, hand, hand Yang Ming and Foot Yang Ming. So one opens to the hand hand one opens to the foot, but it's the same channel. Uh, so so uh, when, we, um, when we talk about bleeding the jiguan point, we're bleeding the jiguan point on the affected channel in the side that's closer to the uh, area of, uh, or the tip that's closer to the pain. For example, if you have shoulder pain around uh, LI uh, uh, 15, 
the, on the right-hand side, then you bleed the right-hand side uh, uh, LI1. However, if you had uh, pain on, on uh, let's say, around stomach 30 area, then you bleed the foot because that's closer, the jingwell point, which is closer. So, yeah, that's how right. the system works. Okay. Perfect. Thank you for clarification on that. And what have been some of the most incredible results that you've experienced with acute pain? Uh, I have that, <laughs> I have that filmed on video as well. Um, the, the ones that I like the best are these miraculous treatments with old blood stasis. Okay. So I had several instances I can tell you, and I had this, uh, uh, I'll tell you two stories. Okay. Although, although I normally, when I treat teach, when I used to teach these classes, I would ask the audience does anyone have a very old injury that's causing limitation of range of motion? Because, okay. So, uh, so I do that in one of the classes, this woman comes up and she says, you know, I, 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 um, I busted my ankle about 40 years ago doing skiing. And, um, and uh, ever since I never had full recovery and I've had surgery and on, so on and so forth. And basically when I squat down, I can only do like, I don't know, uh, um, 60 percent of range of motion and you know she squats down and she she tells you uh and everybody's seeing that, that you know she can't squat all the way down so uh we identify the channel in this case it was i think it was it was go away i was Xiaoyang and uh taiyang actually it was whole butter and and and, 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 and uh, bladder and i just do the bleeding on how we just do the bleeding okay removing the stasis so within so what that's like three minutes okay we have a 50% increase in the range of motion. We do the whole acupuncture treatment and we have another 40. So, so basically she was within minutes or 25 minutes, she's seen like an improvement of like almost 90% uh, uh, of the limitation was gone. And the reason this is so magical is actually simple because what happens with these uh, uh, residual limitations is the stasis from the initial trauma is still there. And once you do this bleeding and you remove, uh, uh, you actually remove a lot of that stasis, that opens up and expands the channels and allows everything to start flowing. So this is why I say old injuries, you, you know, uh, you really want to bleed these channels uh, once or twice because sometimes that, that does a huge, uh, uh, has a huge impact. And, 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 and there's dozens of cases, you know, we had in another class, we had a patient that came in, it's a, a, a mother that came in with her son, oh, had a very very weird accident. He was in college. He was um, he was um, uh, he was sleeping in a bunk bed on the second floor of a bunk bed, and he fell while he was sleeping on a on a glass table that was been below him, and he fell inside the rim or the the uh, 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 um, what is it the border yeah. of the table, yeah. kind of inside. And, the, and, and what happened is the glass cut his, his calf muscle almost, almost like in half. And he was bleeding, in fact, and he couldn't, get, he couldn't get up. He couldn't even get out of that situation. He was bleeding. He thought he was going to die. Anyway, he was screaming. Nobody heard him. Turns out someone was there after, like, um, I think it was 30 minutes, they found him. Uh, he, oh, and they rushed, him. they rushed him to the hospital. Uh, and they and they you know and they they really kind of you know stitched them up all over inside and out 
gave him blood and so on and so forth. And and he was he was limping uh, uh, ever since. He was using crutches. He couldn't, you know, he, he used to do a lot of sports and um, uh, uh, he was snowboarding. Actually, he's a Dutch guy, young guy. And so they come into the to to the class actually one of the classes, and and there were multiple channels involved in this injury. So we had to kind of choose because when you have like five channels involved, you can't do the whole thing. So we had to choose the three major channels. Uh, it was two yin channels and one yang channel. And, and we did the treatment and, and, you know, this guy, you know, again, he couldn't. Okay. So the test was, can you stand on one foot without, without the crutches before? And of course he couldn't do that. Um, and, and, and also we did a lot of, you know, a bunch of, uh, we had a lot of physios there. So they were doing all the tests on the range of motion tests. Anyway, the, to make a long story short, uh, uh, within, you know, 25 minutes, again, after the bleeding, he had like, uh, I don't know, I think it was a 30 to 40% improvement. And uh, his practitioner that brought him into the class actually continued. I followed up with emails with him and, you know, he was back snowboarding within six months. So, so you know, these classical trauma type blood old blood stasis situations sometimes directly miraculously uh, uh you know acupuncture and bleeding is really miraculously uh, helpful for that oh it's fascinating and the first case you describe is me spot on down to the skiing injury of the ankle can't do oh. squats properly because i have limited range of motion so I'm going to be bleeding some Jingwell points today. Okay, so I no, normally it hits the Shaoyang. So like if you have tenderness in the in the gallbladder 40 area, uh, then then I don't know because that's normally where the, these ankle. Uh... The injury was so complex that I did damage on all aspects of it. So I feel the limitation is primarily along the, I think the stomach meridian. If I had to pick mm -hmm. the main point of blockage. That's not always the main point of pain, but that feels like the main point of blockage. But definitely along the bladder as well. I broke off the tip of my lateral malleolus mm. uh, as part of the injury. So, okay. So you know, try that. Try try bleeding those gym wells, but also yeah. do a couple of needles. So so you know, so if you do stomach, if we bleed stomach forty four, uh, stomach forty five, and you and, and you know needles uh, stomach forty three on that same side and li four on the opposite side. Yeah. And do the same for the bladder, you know, bleed bladder 67, do bladder 65 if it's tender, and then small intestine three on the opposite side. Okay. Um, and then do some other points that 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 could could do the trick. And how often do you do the bleeding treatments for someone? Is it a one-time thing? No, no, uh, no. Normally, if it's 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 a long-term condition, uh, let's say if for the treatment series is 10 treatments, I would do it at least three, four times. Let's say the first and second time, and then I'll leave it, and then the fourth uh, uh, and fifth time again. Uh, normally, we do like uh, eight drops, small drops of blood. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Sure, sure. That's a great hit. And those are incredible stories, and I think that's something that not to minimize your experiences, but I think it's something that acupuncturists—they have we we have so many stories like that of just. Yeah incredible results, especially uh, in this case of dealing with chronic injuries, of seeing people instantly have improvements, if not almost complete. It, it's it's amazing how this works again yep. and again. I agree. Can you talk a bit about the device? The I don't even know what it's oh, called, but the device my... that you're involved with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my other hat. 
Uh, right. So, so yeah, basically, uh, I, I have, um, I'm, I'm involved with a startup company in Israel. It's called uh, Cardiac Care. Uh, uh, we have this uh, uh, wristband that has uh, monitoring, but more importantly, uh, stimulating capabilities for treating arrhythmias, certain arrhythmias. Uh, so basically what this is, is a wristband that has a bunch of electrodes that are kind of aligned with the pericardium and heart channel on the wrist. Uh, and what it does um, is it delivers this very gentle uh, uh, stimulation, electrical stimulation to these acupuncture and these nerves, and actually it's <laughs> reducing arrhythmias quite significantly. We have this going on. So it's, 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 a, it's a medical device company, actually. It's, it's in clinical trial phase. Uh, it's, you know, it's company, it uh, yeah, has a lot of people involved in it, um, raised, you know, raised a considerable amount of money so far. Basically, uh, it's meant to be a closed loop system that has both uh, a continuous heart rate monitor uh, an EC and one lead ECG and and, and a neuro stimulator, and uh, initial results that we're seeing it uh, it actually started up in the clinic. So, uh, but but I have to say something about this because because um, uh, I have to say kind of how the idea was born. Um, when we all studied in school um, about a elect electroacupuncture, I think one of the contraindications that we had with electroacupuncture was with the, was the heart and the pericardium channel. So I think it's even, it's in the books. I think sometimes it's even on the, uh, uh, you know, if you buy an Eastern, it'll say that also. So uh, never do electrical stimulation on the heart and pericardium channel. That's, that's uh, I think that's, um, uh, it's a contraindication. And, and for years, I was very respectful of that, for that. And then one day it just dawned on me that if the, electrical conductivity of the heart is whacked, like for instance, an atrial fibrillation. My thought was, I have to try, I have to try, I have to try to, to treat this uh, chaotic electrical chaos in the heart with, because uh, I, I knew, I always knew the direct effect, both from research and from practice and from the books, you know, there is a direct effect of the pericardium channel on heart function. I mean, there's, you know, there's even studies on that, animal studies. And uh, um, so, the, you know, you stick a, a needle in, in pericardium six and you measure the, something that's called ED, endothelial function. Uh, there's, 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 there's an immediate change in the blood vessels and the heart, which, which is measurable. So that I knew for, for years, everybody knows that. That's, not, that's no big deal. But what I said is, okay, if the, electrical conductivity of the autonomic nervous system and the heart are totally messed up, maybe using electrical uh, um, electricity on these points and, and nerves may be helpful. And I, I remember that I was, you know, I was thinking my, well, I'm taking a risk here because, because, because uh, you know, you know I, I totally believe in the contraindications of the books. But in this case, uh, I, it kind of made a lot of sense to me that because, and I did a lot of research on the autonomic nervous system and how it operates and how the brain controls the autonomic nervous system and how that affects the heart and, you know, vagal tone, sympathetic tone, so on and so forth. So, so yeah, I, I decided to, to experiment, experiment on that, initially on myself, by the way. Um, <laughs> and then, <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
And uh, this is how this was born basically. But what happened now is that we've done a lot of research, basic science research also, and we know of specific electrical simulation parameters that, that are effective. And I can tell you that there are electrical simulation parameters that can cause damage. So, so you really need to know what you're doing there in terms of how to simulate these, 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 uh, these nerves. So it's not, I would not recommend doing Easton on these channels and for these patients because you really need to know what to do. And part of how we're doing that is we're actually assessing the state of the autonomic nervous system with an ECG or two minute ECG. And we take a reading of something that's called heart rate variability or HRV. And we know if the patient is in a more vagal state or a sympathetic state. And accordingly, we deliver therapy to, to match that or to counterbalance the, the imbalance. Um, so that's what the device is doing. So it's, yeah, it's causing a lot of interest in, in, in the field. It's, it's, you know, it's gonna be a home care uh, uh, wearable device. And it's, yeah, it's really interesting. It's really, uh, it's quite a journey. Uh, it's a hard journey, you know, medical device as a field, the industry is, is, is difficult. Investors are difficult. It's a hard journey, but it's, it's very, uh, we, we strongly believe that uh, it's, it's gonna prevail. So, yeah. What's it called? And when might it be available? Uh, the website is My Cardiac Care, my-cardiacare. Uh, so you can look in our website, mycardiacare.com. Uh, we still have a long way to do because we only started our FDA clinical trials recently. So we, it's going to be at least a year and a half before it's on the market. Okay. Yeah, yeah pe pending us raising a lot more money too. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> Amos, what's the culture of acupuncture in Chinese medicine like in Israel? Mm. Okay, Israel is, is very interesting. Um, on the one hand, I think the integration of Chinese medicine in Israel is, is unmatched uh, because uh, um, we have access to Chinese medicine through all the major, I'd call them HMOs in Israel, we call them the health funds. So, so um, the situation is what I call the Israeli paradox. And let, let me explain what I mean. So um, back in, I think it was the 80s, uh, it was an MD actually that uh, studied Chinese medicine in Japan that came to Israel uh, for the first time and, and actually brought acupuncture into one of the hospitals in, in the 80s, I think, or late 80s. Uh, Dr. Pintov, and he was like the pioneer of integration, and uh, he opened an integrative medicine, uh, Chinese medicine clinic in one of the major hospitals. That's actually the hospital that I worked in, uh, in the research, that I formed the research unit in. Um, and what happened is that uh, it was very hard in the first years, but uh, it gained more and more acceptances, initially in the orthopedic departments, uh, but later more and more. And the situation today is that every, almost every major hospital in Israel has an acupuncture and integrative medicine clinic. Of every HMO in Israel, which is we have five HMOs or five healthcare funds, the healthcare system in Israel is kind of like the British system. So everything is, uh, is covered. Uh, you get like subs subsidized healthcare. This is why we're getting the vaccines now also. Another story for good or bad. Um, but uh, uh, so all the uh, 
healthcare providing funds in Israel, uh, which by law you have to be, uh, or you're covered, but you, you're actually covered by, by the state. You're covered by the state. You have to select one of five, and that's one that we work with. So they all have their own private clinics in almost every town. And acupuncture is, is extremely accepted. Uh, uh, by the way, it started as, you know, it started, they, they saw they could make money out of that. So they, they, the health fund saw that, you know, opening these clinics, uh, it's, it's a good business. And that's how it kind of started. Uh, but today it's at the point where we have, you know, uh, the open-minded physicians referring to acupuncture within their whole health funds, the open-minded physicians are referring to acupuncture within the hospitals. The hospital that I worked with, we had acupuncture in the ER, in pediatrics, in, in, in uh, cardiology, in uh, OBGYN, in urology, and in labor room. Uh, so, so That's it, incredible. It, that's amazing. Uh, there's a hospital in the northern part of Israel, in Haifa, again, uh, uh, which they're doing acupuncture uh, on patients during uh, during uh, uh, cat lab, during uh, ballooning, and during cardiovascular uh, ca- cardiology procedures. <laughs> so wow. so yeah. So I, I would say so. The integration is amazing, uh, but funny enough, we have still no uh, legalization and no uh, accreditation. Uh, so basically, there's no academic. You, you can't get an act- academic degree in acupuncture, and you uh, you can only get a diploma. And there's and basically there's no law yet. Uh, uh, I mean, you can everybody can take a, a short acupuncture course, which is crazy. Uh, not, not not that that's happening these days because we do we do have three or four good schools. So the majority of the students actually go through a very thorough program. I think it's uh, I don't know. Uh, 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 4,000 or 5,000 hours or so, I don't know. Uh, but, but so we have good schools, but, but, the, but from, uh, we still don't have uh, uh, legalization or accreditation. This is why I call it a paradox. So on yeah. the one hand, we have a lot of integration. On the other hand, we don't have it. And when I talk to my British colleagues uh, who do have, you know, the accreditation and uh, legalization of acupuncture, they actually tell us sometimes, you know, uh, the NHS, the National Health Service in the UK, is pounding on them and actually limiting them. So I don't even know to say what's better. So uh, yeah, yeah. And do you find that any or many physicians are taking short courses in acupuncture and using it, or is there no that, need since there's already these integrative yeah. centers in every hospital? Mm-hmm. There, there, there was a t- about 10 years ago, there was this trend. So some of the acupuncture schools, what they did is they, again, they discovered it was a business opportunity to do, to do these six months or one year courses for physicians. And there was a bunch of these programs here in Israel. I didn't, it didn't, it didn't catch. I mean, um, um, today, uh, the majority of the acupuncture is done through the health funds and the private clinics. And the majority of the, pay, uh, of the practitioners uh, are, you know, p- practitioners that went through whole programs. You can still find here and there these physicians they don't know that do some needling, but uh, I don't think it's a major issue. Uh, for some reason, it didn't catch. Yeah. And how did acupuncture come into your life? Oh, um, okay. So uh, basically, um, I, I, as I, I stated earlier, my, my, my background uh, started actually in the world of sciences. 
Um, so I was studying my uh, bachelor degree in biology and life sciences. And um, I, I, uh, I was doing martial arts since I was young, since I was uh, 13. And it was mainly Japanese, Japanese martial arts, you know, external martial arts. And uh, right, right around when I was completing my, my bachelor's uh, degree in sciences, I, I, I was kind of sick of breaking bones in karate and, and, and all that. And, and I started exploring actually an, an internal martial arts, you know, Tai Chi, Tai Chi Chuan, mm-hmm. basically. Uh, and I finished my, uh, uh, as I finished my, 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 uh, uh, my degree, I, I started taking Tai Chi lessons and yoga classes and meditation classes uh, uh, regularly. And I, you know, and within three to four months, I started feeling Chi like you do when you do Tai Chi. And I was, I remember, I remember myself looking at my hands and saying, I, I don't remember that in, in biology classes, in anatomy classes, in physiology classes, we ever discussed these sensations. So what's going on here? So I got really intrigued about that. Um, and I started reading more and more about, uh, uh, about Chinese philosophy, about Taoist philosophy mainly, uh, uh, which, which I heavily rely on my daily life and perspective on that. I always have the Tao Te Ching with me and, and <laughs> it's, it's with me all the time uh what translation um, do you have do you use I, I ha- actually have a hebrew one which is a good okay. one uh but 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 the, the english one that i use is uh uh oh it'll come back to me in a second it, okay. um, i started reading about that uh, you know about the Tao and, and the philosophy and i was really you know enchanted by the philosophy and it took me the you know the two more years of completing my second degree in science since i decided you know you know what I, I really want to do this. I really want to explore that. And, and lucky enough, my wife at the time got, uh, no, not my wife at the time. She's still my wife. Uh, my <laughs> wife got a, jo- got a job at the time uh, at UCSF in San Francisco, uh, with doing, you know, doing science. And, uh, and, you know, ACTCM, which is one of, one of the best schools, I think, in the West, uh, or at least at the time was. And so we moved to San Francisco and I said, that's what I'm going to do now. So I'm going to do Chinese medicine. And I was lucky enough to be, to be there for that, for those four, four and a half years. And Dr. Wang was there, came to California at the time, which is kind of how everything kind of rolled. And right. Yeah. The rest is history. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also a great proponent of the Tao. If you can pinpoint any particular philosophy that has really landed with you and helped to guide your life, what might that be? It's, it's, I'm, I'm, I always think, think big and go back to the basics. <laughs> Yin and Yang. Yin and Yang. There's no question about it. There's okay. no question about it. I mean, I see that everything and everywhere around me in my life, in my perspective, in my patients' lives, you know, I teach my patients Yin and Yang. You know, I tell them, you know, uh, that's how the universe operates. That's how the world operates. You have sunlight. You have day, you have operations during the day, and you have nighttime when you you know sink back into yourselves and you rest and recover. So activity and recovery is like the basis of everything. Um, you know, I, I teach this to my patients. I we talk a lot about sleep and sleep habits and why you need to go to sleep at a certain time for that rejuvenation. This is true from you know this is true in Chinese medicine. This is true in Western medicine. This is you know. Uh, I'll just give you like two anecdotes of, of, of yin and yang in, in a Western perspective. So we mentioned just before the autonomic nervous system and the autonomic nervous system basically, uh, which is, uh, operates on two realms, you know, the fight or flight response, which is a sympathetic response, which is totally a yang response, increased heart rate, increased blood pressure, run, fight or flight, 
and the parasympathetic uh, aspect, which is the yin aspect of the autonomic nervous system, which is basically sit down, relax, recover. Okay, so the autonomic nervous system works constantly in this re in this thrive or attempt to balance the yin and yang. Let's talk about the heart. Okay, so in the heart we have, you know, twenty four seven we have heartbeats. Every heartbeat basically has contraction and expansion, relaxation, what we call the systole and diastole, okay? Contraction phase is all yang. Relaxation phase is all yin. So our heart constantly, 24 seven, every second moves from a yin state to a yang state. Without it, we wouldn't be alive. So, you know, I, I think the most important thing uh, from the Tao and for everything is, you know, kind of living, uh, living within the realm of yin and yang. And when, and when, I, when, when I say, we, that, that's kind of like the surface layer of that. Uh, from a deeper layer into that, you know, I, I try to live by the Tao, I try to meditate, I try to do my Qigong meditations on a daily basis. I would say that most of the days I, I can do that. Uh, I think that one of my deepest, uh, one of the deepest teachings that I've ever received in Qigong and meditation was, was the, uh, what we call, you know, the, you know, the symbol of yin and yang basically has the S line or the curve line, which is the connecting line between the, between yin and yang. And from a meditative perspective, this is where we thrive or where we, I'm sorry, where, where we uh, uh, try to achieve to be in, and that state of in between yin and yang, because that's where all creation actually happens, you know, but uh, so in meditation, we call it, you know, uh, uh, um, a state of, 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 of seeing without looking, of, of, of hearing without listening, of, of being without doing. So, you know, walking the S line is, you know, that's, that's the journey, <laughs> being in this state, yeah. I love how excited you just got talking about the Tao. That was great. I can tell yeah. that it's definitely something you live by. What is something about you, Amos, that you're passionate about that is completely unrelated? To Chinese medicine and cardiology and the things that we've talked talked about. Do you mean like the things that I enjoy doing, or the things that I believe in, or is it the? Uh... So, yeah, something else that lights you up, like the Tao does. Yeah, whatever it might be a a hobby or a pastime. Yeah, no, I'll tell you about my hobbies, but I think I think I think uh, f family is is one of the biggest one of the biggest ones. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, I say that, and unfortunately, it's now what is it? It's it's. A, Eight o'clock in the evening. I'm still in my in my startup office. <laughs> Sorry <Okay>. about that. <laughs> no, no, it's not. No, no, that's a normal day for me. So, uh, because because that's how it is, you know, uh, in, in a startup company. But, but I would say that those precious moments with you know with 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 my wife and my kids, uh, that's a huge source of joy for me. Uh, but I also have my hobbies. You know, I. I swim a lot, and in the last few years, I kind of started swimming in the ocean, which I really love. So, winter, summer, you know, we if unless there's a winter storm, I I like swimming. And I since two of my sons are, are rock climbers and bouldering, I I recently started looking into that into that yeah uh, yeah. And oh, I also I I used to do that a lot. I do do that less. Uh, windsurfing. Uh, I love windsurfing. Really? I love the effect that I like the effect that wind. Wind, by the way, is a huge thing. Also from a channel perspective, you know. Yeah. 
I, I, love, I, I love the concept of wind in Chinese medicine, external, internal, uh, the wind of, in, in, in your sails. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful discussion, by the way. So yeah, so I like, you know, windsurfing is something that I also, I'm also Yeah, into. I mean, that's very old school here anyway. Yeah. It's, it's all kite surfing yeah. now, is it? Everybody, is it? I know, I know. Yeah, but you're, you're old school too. windsurfer. Yeah, I'm old school. I'm old school. That's yeah. awesome. My son was just asking the other day if he could go windsurfing. I'm like, man, I don't know where we're going to find equipment. And <laughs> maybe we'll go kite surfing instead. Yeah. Well, that's great. Thank you for all of your generous sharing. Where can listeners learn more about you and connect with some of the things you're doing? We have a website. It's actually it's actually down now, but we'll bring it up in a week or two. Just because we didn't we didn't I think we we kind of neglected it during the COVID time because it was it, the website is called Meridian Wave Acupuncture, okay. uh, and it's www uh, It's down. Uh, we'll bring it back up. It's you know it, w- it was the resources of the lectures and the courses that I that I used to teach uh, prior to COVID. So there's some resources there. As I said, you know, if you want to read about the COMBP study that we did on blood pressure, you can look it up in Google and find that. There's the JCM article. Uh, I I I did had have some contribution to the book. I mean, I, I, uh, Doctor One does mention me there in the acknowledgement and in, in the beginning. Uh, I helped Jason see. I, not that I did any writing, and it was. Uh, uh, but I did some proofreading, I guess. Uh, some, but I, but again, I'm not a, I'm not a real contributor to the book reading, you know. Well, and we'll name um, that that supply channel theory that you're talking about, right? Yeah. Where else? Uh, you know, for the specific stuff, you know, uh, and, you know, if you have uh, questions from, I mean, I have a a huge amount of uh, of of these PowerPoint decks that uh, that you know, uh, that I've taught over the years on channel theory on pain management on cardiovascular um, that I can share perhaps what I can do is once we bring the website up I can we have a download section in the website and we can put some of the, some of those uh, some of those decks there uh, you know there's an insomnia treatment protocol lecture that I have uh, that we can put there. There's an arrhythmia lecture that I can put there. I'll be happy to do that. So yeah, maybe through that website once we bring it back up again. Okay, sounds good. Well, I'll tell you what, it's mid-February right now. I've got a few other interviews that are still in post-production. So this probably isn't going to go live until beginning of March anyway. So hopefully by then the site will be back up or near to it. Why don't you send me any of the links that you want in the show mo- show notes and I'll make sure those are there for listeners to take a look at and connect with. Thank you so much for staying late at the office to do this with me. It's been a great pleasure getting to know you and learning about the work that you do. It's been my pleasure, and I really hope that I'll be able to physically come down to see your beautiful school because it looks really beautiful uh, one day. (laughs) I would love for that. We'll definitely invite you. Hopefully, you can do a workshop. Jason's been here numerous times. We're working with CT right now on some online curriculum. Hopefully, when travel is happening... We'll have you here. Yeah, I'd like to. Yeah, I'd, I'd rather do it physically than, than online. <laughs> All right, wonderful. Thank you, Todd. Great. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pacific Rim College Radio with Amos Ziv. For more about Amos and his work, please visit mycardiaccare.com. That's M Y C A R D I A C C A R E.com and his Facebook page for Meridian Wave Acupuncture. 
You can also find a PubMed link for his Calm BP study in the show notes. If you are interested in studying Chinese medicine, the School of Acupuncture and Chinese Medicine at Pacific Rim College offers world-renowned multi-year programs including world's first study options, combining acupuncture with Western herbal medicine and holistic nutrition. Visit pacificrimcollege.com to learn more. Also, don't forget to check out our online education in Chinese medicine by exploring the amazing course offerings at pacificrimcollege.online, including many courses featuring other guests of this podcast. If you are interested in receiving clinical services in holistic nutrition, herbal medicine, and acupuncture in Chinese medicine, the student clinic at PRC provides more than 7,000 annual treatments. Live holistic nutrition and herbal medicine consultations are both available online, while acupuncture and Chinese medicine treatments can be had at our Victoria campus. Free treatment options are available in all areas. Visit the student clinic at pacificrimcollege.com for more information and to book your appointment. If you enjoyed this podcast, share it with your friends and family and give it a five-star rating on whatever podcast app you are using. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, open your heart to the therapeutic potential of Chinese medicine and the healing philosophy of Taoism. <laughs>